0: Welcome to A Year on Tour with Wittinghus. Here's your host, Hans Christian Wittinghus. Hello guys and girls, and welcome back to another special guest episode of my podcast. Before getting right into it with today's highly entertaining guest, Ville Long, I just want to send a huge thanks to all of my patrons, including my two newest ones, Jamie and Arch. I've also lost a couple of long patrons since the latest update so i'm now on 47. it's completely fair to stop supporting because as i say there's no binding whatsoever when signing up but i do really appreciate all the help you guys are showing me your support has now been big enough for me to invest in a mixer slash soundboard for the future production of the podcast so i'm very excited for this to arrive it should help me in making the podcast an even smoother listener experience in the future so if anyone else wants to join this amazing group of supporters and get a shout out in an episode, early access to all guest episodes, a chance to win prizes and a chance to join me for a monthly live chat, please sign up at patreon.com slash And now, without any further ado, let's get to the interview with Ville. Today's guest is the king of Finnish badminton. Or at least he used to be as he won the Finnish national championships a record 10 years in a row from 2005 to 2014. Nowadays he's retired from competing internationally but he does have 15 international titles to his name and a highest world rank of 21 in men's singles. So there's no doubt he was a household name on the international stage for his entire career. He's still very much involved in badminton and being the very entertaining character he is, I can't wait for this chat to find out more about his career and his ambition for the future. So Willi Long, big welcome to my show, a year and two at
1: Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, it has been a long time coming. I have been waiting, yeah.
0: <laughs> waiting for you to
1: ask me, but uh, well, it's finally here.
0: <laughs> but I, I needed to build up the show to be big enough to handle a star like you. That's why I waited so long.
1: Well, I, I'm not. I'm not really sure the show is ready, or you are the re- <laughs> you are ready for, for it.
0: But uh, we will see. <laughs> yeah, we will see. We will let the listeners decide after uh, after this episode if they were ready or not. I'll uh, I'll gather some feedback and get back to you with that. And when I uh, when I ask questions, uh, or I ask my listeners for questions for this podcast. I had so many questions about your beard, so we might as well get that out of the way uh, straight away. How is it possible for you to grow this amazing beard and if people don't uh, they don't know your looks or anything they should go and uh, check you out on your uh, on your instagram or go on YouTube and watch some of your uh, matches in the uh, later part of your career because your beard is really really amazing I have to say that what, what's your secret Villa?
1: Well yeah I guess uh, I guess the key factor is the laziness you need to okay. be lazy. <laughs> <laughs> obviously you need uh, quite a bit of uh, testosterone to have that kind of beard coming out of your face, but, uh, but laziness is the main main factor to have it like that but obviously at one point it it got really out of the hand. I mean the beard was bigger than my head so uh I <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean it was it, w- it was good I mean it was very good for the show and uh, it made me feel uh more powerful so there was there was a little bit of thinking behind that as well
0: mm. and that's actually the uh, the perfect crossover to the first uh, kind of subject that i wanted to discuss with you a little bit because for me you were always uh, a player with a very physical presence on court like when when you when uh, i played against you or if i saw someone play against you you could kind of uh I don't know if intimidated is the right word, but a little bit, I think it is, that, that you could get a little bit intimidated from your physical presence, the, the way you looked and the way you tried to kind of dominate your opponent. I, one of the first uh, things I remember about you or experiences with you is uh, the Danish Junior Cup in, uh, in Gentofte all the way back in, I think 2003 or four, something like that, uh, where you actually, you won the tournament. Uh, but I remember you played uh, Christian Lind Thompson from Denmark. And you were just running him down like he had no chance and you were toying with him and he was so tired, and I just remember a specific situation where you. Uh, after a really long rally where Christian was so tired and you just stopped and you just looked at your watch like "Hmm, okay I, I need to be somewhere else, uh, Ah, this is going to take a while, like you you showed. You really tried to show him that you didn't care, and that that's my picture of you. you. You always try to to give that feeling to your opponent. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, obviously i I liked to be that kind of uh, player that i was I was uh, physically at least looking very strong and powerful, more powerful than my opponent because i was I was never the fastest. I had never the best stamina, so I had to have something, and uh, obviously I was very strong at one point, and I wanted to like enhance it even even more. And uh, with that, with that comes the mental game, which uh, which uh, was by far the best part of my game. Actually, I mean, I was I was technically I was never that good. Physically I was all right, but not really world class. But mentally I think I was one of the one of the toughest. So um, that's that's very correct to say that I was I was trying to be in intimidating uh, character. And it it worked very well, especially especially um, against some younger Asian players. They they really looked like they were scared of me. And uh, I mean, Maybe they were they right. Were. I I mean, I mean, they were right. I was I was really angry at one point when uh, you know you know young players come out of Asia and uh, I I didn't like it. I didn't like it. They were better players than me, actually. So I had to pull some rabbits out of out of my hat, and that's that's actually how I was I was able to win some some. Better quality players in my career because I I felt like many many players uh, were much better as a player than mm. me. I have one cute example: Dieter Domke, the German German guy. I felt he was so much better player than I was, but still I never lost to him because I had the mental mental upside against uh, mm. against him. So. Um, I felt it was very, very important for me to show my opponent that I'm physically stronger, and uh, with that comes the mental, mental toughness. So it was, it was really my, uh, my key for the, for the success in my, <laughs> at my level, I
0: would say. Yeah, and your, and your beard was part, of, part of that. In the in the end of the career, when did you actually start letting it grow so big? Because I don't remember you had it in the start of your career, right?
1: No, I think it was like 2014, 13, something like this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I
0: mean. And you, you little retired little bit, in 16, right?
1: Yeah, or maybe it was a little earlier. I cannot remember, but it was just like just before the like all the beard boom uh, mm-hmm. became going around in the world. So. Uh,
0: but I must so say you're what, you're, what, you're the trendsetter.
1: Well, I don't, I don't know about that. If you, if you look at me now, uh, I don't think I'm any kind of trendsetter. But, uh, but I must say one more thing. That Lynn Thompson, uh, we had some good fights, and I mean, uh, I mean, we both, we both understood quite, quite well that we are not going to be the best players in the world, definitely not. But we can be the best, best showman in the in the badminton tour. So. Uh, we wanted to. We wanted to give both of us wanted to give the spectators something else than only basically like a boring, boring badminton match. We wanted to give give a show, and I think we succeeded quite quite well in our careers.
0: Yeah, definitely. I had a a German guy, a guy who's always a volunteer at the German Open every year. He wrote to me when he heard that uh, that you were going to be on the show, and he said that he would never forget the match you played against uh, Lynn Thompson in German Open. I don't remember the year, but uh, I think anyone that was in the hall at that time will, will remember that match. It, uh, it took like one and a half hours, something like that. It was absolutely crazy, and you were just... Like, you were really putting on a show, as you say. It was it was probably not the best badminton, not the most technically <laughs> skilled badminton, but it was just like a physical and mental battle that was out of this world. How do you remember that match? I, I do
1: remember it very well. I mean, it was one hour, 44 minutes, and uh, 44. At, that t- at, at that time, I think it was actually the longest match in men's singles ever played mm-hmm. with this uh, new scoring system. Obviously, now, now you boys, you play like two hours every... <laughs> Every now and then, so uh, now it's nothing. But uh, at that time, one one hour forty four minutes was really good. And uh, I mean, yeah, with Lindtomso, we usually started counting counting the shots after two minutes uh, into the rally. So uh, there were some long rallies uh, <laughs> between us and good uh, shows. Obviously, yeah. next day uh, I didn't have too much of a chance against uh, Tomi Sukiarto, but. Uh, That was good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was very good to watch. That's for sure. I don't think anyone left the hall uh, unless they had something really important to do. It was amazing, amazing to watch. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I mean, for me, for
1: me personally, that's what I played for. I played for the memories. I didn't play for World Champs or something like this, World Champs medals or something. I played for memories. So those are really important for me, actually.
0: I think it's a little interesting to dig a bit more into your mental strength because you you describe it as your probably your biggest strength, and I uh, I will definitely agree that you uh, you won some matches that you maybe uh, wouldn't expect, and you were quite good at also beating the ones you had to beat uh, when you when you played at your best because you were intimidating and you yeah you just kind of dominated these guys. But would you also say sometimes that it was uh, a little bit of a weakness when you then played against players that could kind of withstand that kind of pressure, mental pressure that you put on them. So when they withstood it, you would sometimes give in a little bit. Because I remember like some matches, for example, when I played you in Dutch International, beat you in the final, uh, we had really tough two first games and then I win the final one 21-4. And I have I have like a few uh, memories of you in, in that situation as well, where you kind of, I, I'm not sure if giving up is the right word, but where it seems like you you lost your belief that that you could, Actually, win the matches.
1: I mean, yeah, especially in situation like I remember that that's that's final as 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 well as you do, and and uh, mm. especially against the better players. Like you were the better player at that time already. And uh, then if I feel if I like felt like I can't really crush this guy mentally, like he he's trying to basically play the game only. Not play the mental game, play badminton, and I feel like if he's if my opponent is not taking part of this mental battle, he's the better player. he's usually better player than I am, so I have lost my biggest weapon in that uh in that uh, match so it, it was it was many times, and many times like that And i am um, I have heard some crazy crazy stories. Actually, from from Denmark, that some coaches have said that uh, never look uh, look me into the eyes, and uh, and uh, well, that was not a good idea at the time.
0: <laughs> uh, well, well, to be to be honest, when when I played you, for example, I, I was very aware that I didn't want to kind of provoke you uh, or didn't want to start these mental battles because because we always felt in the Danish camp that. The more show and the more fun you would have on court uh, between the two players the better you would play if you could just uh, focus on your own and not give you anything uh in terms of uh your body language signals or anything there would be a better chance that you wouldn't you wouldn't play to your best so i think that was a very uh like we were very conscious that we had to try and go that way to not make you play your best that's for sure yeah i
1: mean there is there is a very strong reasoning why i did that because i knew that if if me and my opponent, we, will, we both have a big troubles in our games. Yeah. I have the mental strength to go through that trouble if we both play shit at the same time. But obviously, if we both play very well at the time, then I don't have that big of a chance. So uh, I try to basically bring down the opponent's uh, level of, level of play. Because I knew that it doesn't. If if there if there will be some uh, chatting with the referees, even the even I mean the umpire and even with the referees, and there will be a lot of lot of things happening on court. Yeah. I was I I always felt like okay this is this is my show. I I know yeah. what to do. I this is what I what I play for. And uh, and many times I saw that my opponent was like why why the hell this is happening again no way (laughs) and i was like oh yeah this is this is really a fuel to my to my systems so i got really energy out of that
0: Mm. yeah that makes completely good sense also now that you say that's what you play for like you play for the memories and not so much winning a medal of course you would have enjoyed winning a medal but it, it wasn't like the main the main motivating factor for you so is that the main thing you also got out of badminton is that the mental battle or was it was there other things in the sport that that made you like love it as much or could it as well have been tennis sorry tennis you played or some other individual sport where you could get the same is it only like the mental battle that that really turns you on or is it also like the game of badminton that has something special for
1: you i mean in the beginning and uh for sure it has been uh, it has been badminton but Mm. now when i have i have gotten a little bit older i have uh, i have thought that it it was just the one on one which mm. which really turned me on like uh, it, that was the main main thing for me that there is man against man and then you decide who is better and basically there is no rules obviously there are some rules <laughs> but mm. uh, but you do yeah. everything for the win basically and that's what's really fascinating to me
0: yeah all right all right i had the uh, i had one question from uh suny i'm sure you remember him as well yeah he, uh, Absolutely. he wanted to yeah he wanted to thank you for all the battles and he said that uh, he enjoyed watching you especially when you sometimes you went into this mode where you just played extreme defense with high clears and high lifts and you you kind of uh it, it will feel like for the opponent that he was hitting a, against a wall and soon is in that context he's he's asking um like was well, sometimes because sometimes you seem to maybe lose the first game against a lower rank player and then you come storming out in the in the next two games so you come out and start playing that kind of defense and build up that that kind of uh yeah defensive uh, wall what was it a tactical plan for you to to play that very defensive game or was it more of a uh like a solution to to try and just get back into the match if you you couldn't really uh, get your focus right
1: i mean uh after all i was i was defensive player and naturally yeah. i i love to defend uh my between my defense and my offense i feel that there was too big of a gap to really reach the reach the goals I had set for myself, like top ten in the world, and uh, my attack wasn't that good that I could I could do it. My de- my defense was was that good I felt, but obviously with that Agreed. set, yeah, it's uh, it was definitely the solution because many times in the first games I was trying I was trying to play a little bit a little bit like uh, feel the game what happens Mm -hmm. and then especially if I if I lost the first game then I needed to get my confidence back what do I do I I go to my uh, um what is what comes naturally to me Mm -hmm. so I go to defense I make I make I make sure that I'm not gonna lose this match I I make my opponent to win the match Mm -hmm. because that 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 was something i really hated that if and still if i'm coaching now i don't want my players to lose the match i want them to force the opponent to win the match and that was the whole career my my idea of the of the game really that um that my opponent needs to play better than me to win the match that i'm not going to give the match with with me playing really really bad or making mistakes because I hated to make mistakes. That's why that's why I was hitting all the shots to the middle and they were not really good and that's why I couldn't get to the top ten because you cannot just hit to the middle all the time.
0: <laughs> mm. But that's definitely also what annoyed the players that couldn't beat you because it, it would feel so simple, but still they they didn't have the weapons to to get through your defense when you played like that.
1: Yeah, then then I had some good. Good things, like offensive things as well. I, uh, I had a good net play at one point. I, I was, I had a decent flat game, and uh, I could turn the defense to attack quite good actually, because I was, I was very powerful at the time. But shot making, <laughs> not, not the best one. And obviously, it was only like a one smash or something like this. But never the follow up. Only like one one little little try and then giving up giving up the pressure again so obviously there should have been a little bit more build up in 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 the offense offensive play
0: and talking about that we we will uh move on to a chat about when it, it did actually work well for you with both your defense and your offense and uh when i was researching for this uh this episode I do that actually uh I uh yeah I do really? I do um I was watching a bit of your final in the Scottish Open which I'm sure you agree is your your biggest win and uh, you won that in, in 2014 uh, and you played the uh, Sue Wang who I'm sure all my listeners will know he's now a uh, top 10 uh level player in men's singles you beat him in the final uh after losing the first game and being down 2016 in the second you came back and you you won that and uh, yeah i watched a little bit of it uh, last night and when i watched that i i don't get the feeling that you couldn't put the shuttle on the floor you, your offense was actually uh, working uh, pretty well but i guess the big story in that match is the comeback you made from uh, from 2016 in the uh, in the second game well, what do you remember from a match like that so Wang was already starting to make uh, a bit of a progress up the uh, rankings at that time, right? Well, that's, that's
1: really really weird tournament, actually, because I had no confidence coming into that tournament. I didn't expect anything out of myself. I, I felt after watching on the videos that I was a little bit, maybe overweight, maybe a few kilos, like always. <laughs> but uh, then when, uh, when the tournament progressed, I felt like even I hate this, I hate this word flow. Yeah. I felt I went into the flow a little bit because at the time I couldn't, I remember I couldn't even like, uh, I didn't need to print hard at any point in the tournament until the last, last shuttle. And I felt like I, I can't make a mistake. Mm. So I was really, then obviously the confidence uh, grew up with with every match and i had uh, some good uh, good good friends playing there Sabatsky and all all these guys who you could always play three sets and in the end win <laughs> so that obviously that obviously gives you the confidence quite quite nicely and uh, and the final yeah i mean he was so much better player than i was obviously once <laughs> He, he had all the shots. He he was faster, and uh, somehow he felt like he he didn't want to. He didn't want to start dancing with me, really mentally. But then, then um, yeah, I mean, I was a little bit lucky, obviously, in the in the end of the second set. You
0: need you need that. But to still, survive I felt time. like That's for, sure. That's for sure.
1: Sure, but still, I felt like. I felt like I'm not gonna lose this. I felt all the way like I, there is no chance I'm 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 gonna lose this. And then obviously, me Wang, every spectator in the hall knew that I was gonna win the title after I won the second set. I mean, everyone knew it. It was just uh, it was really a pleasure to play the play the third set because I knew that he was out and i was just getting started because in the first set i i had little bit tight muscles mm. and i couldn't really stretch that well but then i got warm after after two sets so i played the best badminton actually in the third set mm. so i was like this is this is true pleasure and i knew that i'm gonna i'm gonna have my biggest win in in my career so it was it was quite nice and i have always loved scotland like um, Sometimes too much, like this. This one guy in Twitter wrote that. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: we 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 actually going to get back to that question but in the end of the interview. So uh, yeah, say, <laughs> save your stories for that one. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I also I rec- recommend anyone listening to this that they should go to YouTube and find that Scottish Open final. Not not necessarily to watch it all, but also just to see. The way you look, like the the clothes you're playing in, your beard, your bandana, your hair, like for me, that's the perfect example of what we spoke about in, in the beginning. Your like your physical presence on court. That you you look of course for a spectator, you don't look scary, but your your appearance in that final would be a little bit scary for a guy like Sue Wang, who maybe hasn't been to Europe many times and played against European players. he's more used to the Asian style and your style could definitely not be described as being very Asian No yeah, I um, that was
1: really my my idea when going into that match that he's young young boy. I haven't I hadn't seen him that many times in Europe. I felt like if if I can do, something with this match I need to break him mentally somehow because I was watching his matches in the previous rounds and I was like why the hell this guy's in this tournaments?" I mean there is just like these middle middle level players like me but this guy he is good and then I felt like okay yeah okay now I need to really show that I am the daddy I am the daddy and he is just a small boy yeah. Um, well, for once, I I succeeded yeah. with that. Sure, in the definitely end.
0: Is, as you say, very clear in the third game that he he he's out of the game, and uh, you you can also kind of sense it on you the way that you're celebrating after the second game. You just you feel that change of momentum that there's there's nothing left in him, and uh, he also seems very eager to kill those last few uh, points in the second game. Yeah, abs- yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. but there is also something uh, I would say even a little bit magical about 2014 for you because that's also the year you win the Swedish Masters where you beat uh, your I think it's he's a good friend as well right The Henry Hurskanen from uh, from Sweden and you you beat him in the final and you're down 19-13 in the uh, final game and you still come back and win that what, what what's up with these uh, comebacks in uh, in your finals back then?
1: Well I, I I I used the oldest trick in the book quite yeah. often when I was down I I I did always like this that I I tried to show my opponent that I have I have given up because sometimes I I did mm. give up my matches a little bit too easy and uh but then when I really wanted to win I still wanted to show my opponent that I have given up at the same time, I felt I have never concentrated better than these, these moments. That's exactly what happened in Sweden. Obviously, I would not have wanted to do that against uh, Henry. He's a really good friend of mine and uh, obviously better badminton player than I am. But um, he got really nervous mm. and, well, what can he do? Win the last eight points and the mm. title. Well, actually, actually, like I said to like I said to Mark Phelan, mm-hmm. who was there photographing the final, I saw him 1913. He was on my side. He liked to take picture pictures of me on court. He went to the Henry site at that point. I was thinking like, <laughs> oh, no, no, that was a mistake, Mark. I said to him after the match in, the, in an interview that, okay, I, I, already, I already thought that maybe I should just give up. I mean, there will be a new tournament next week. But then I saw him going to the other side. I was thinking like, no, 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 come back, Mark. I'm the one who is going to win this tournament. And then I won eight points in a row and uh, the title. <laughs> yeah. And I was really sure to mention that to Mark yeah, after, of course. after of the course. match.
0: Did you mention it to uh, Henry as well? <laughs> Nah. no
1: i was really uh, that was that was not really nice i mean we are, good, we are two good two good yeah, friends yeah. i was actually
0: also watching that the end of that final on uh, on youtube because uh, one of my followers uh, told me about that uh, match I, I didn't have any uh, recollection of it but i had to watch it and uh, just watching that those final uh yeah 10 points or, or eight points how many it is it's uh it's for me everything that we long is exactly as you say you look like someone in the start that has given up but the closer uh sorry the closer you get to uh to 19 all and equalizing and winning you can just when you when i know you i can see that you still care you you want to win this one you, you haven't given up but i think it, it's yeah, very interesting yeah, to hear that yeah, it is yeah. actually uh something that you, uh purposely bit that like you, you tried to give your opponent that feeling that okay maybe you already gave up
1: yeah absolutely i like i said i needed to use all the tricks and the books yeah. really i i wanted to win and and with that said that's why i uh, i actually quit 2016 i could have played i played my best badminton at that time 2016 but i felt like i I lost my passion. I lost the will to win because before that, years earlier, I, I wanted to win with any cost, basically. And uh, when I lost that, I felt like now it's only the game of badminton, really, who, who is the better player. And usually I'm not the better player. So I didn't want to continue playing a high, high level anymore. Because I I lost I lost the passion I lost the bill the last last piece in my in my yeah, puzzle. Right. Yeah, that
0: makes sense. Uh, but did you quit after the Olympics? So you you didn't qualify, right, for the Olympics in in sixteen?
1: No, I did not qualify. No, I uh, I was very close. I have been I have been into other podcasts this week in in <laughs> Finland and that. Uh, I have been telling this story to both of them. Like It was quite close, I would say. I was the first one out from the Olympics. And the uh, second last tournament, I had three match points. If I, if I won one of them, I would have qualified. The last tournament, I, I was up 2015 in the third set. If I won one of them, I would oh. have qualified. So I had eight match points. I didn't know at the time, obviously. But uh, eight match points, and uh, I mean, I've known to be quite good in the end of the games, uh, in the end of the matches.
0: So that was quite close. Do you think that winning those uh, matches that... came from the the lack of will or need to win that, that you were lacking a bit of passion, or is it just a coincidence?
1: Definitely, definitely, definitely. I, I, I felt like that, I felt like that. I, I remember I was not even that disappointed. I was just like... Mm yeah it was it was just badminton it wasn't it wasn't everything to me anymore at that point so yeah that's not a good that's not a good thing yeah definitely
0: not and then then you won't be able to give what you need to do in training in the long in the long perspective maybe you can still produce some good matches and results for a a short while but obviously if that passion is gone it's not going to be a long-term good solution for you in any way um, I have one other uh, one other result that I, I, I remember clearly uh, i'm sure that's also one of the memories that you hold uh, in in high regard in terms of your career and that's uh, obviously the match against uh, Li Legion Wei at the Olympics. Uh, in London 2012 right you uh, you play him in the group stage. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. you lose yeah. the first game and then you actually beat him quite convincingly in the second game before also losing the third. But just taking a game of Li Cheng Wei at the Olympics where he always played well. I know he didn't win it, but he was always there in his best possible condition. Like how big of an achievement is that for you? I know it's not a tournament win like Scottish Open, but is it is it still like one of the performances you think of as one of your best ever? I mean, yeah, sure. It's um
1: I was in I was in really good condition at uh, at the time and um uh, obviously the momentum. Playing playing in Olympics at the time it was the only match played in the stadium because it was it was delayed so much. Full stadium, uh president of fin- Finland watching there. My part of my family watching there and uh, playing that well against Li Chongwei. And uh, in the third set it was it was 11 9 11 10 when I still felt like I, I have a chance to win this match. Um then after the match getting the standing ovation and uh, and then, the, <laughs> then after after the match the president of Finland, I, I heard he was he was asking me to meet him and i said like no no i'm uh, i'm i'm a little bit busy now i i don't i don't do that kind of meetings now <laughs> okay. then after that i was thinking like how big of an idiot <laughs> am i the president of finland, finland wants to talk with you about badminton about your match and I, i'm saying like no no i'm busy sorry you need to wait what what did, a more i get to talk to him afterwards no. no, but he sent me he sent me a handwritten letter okay. thanking me up thanking me about the night. <laughs> That's crazy. I was like, I, I should have met I should have met but, him.
0: Maybe he was. It can't, it can't <laughs> have been many times the but, president of Finland uh, even watched Badminton before that.
1: No, not not really, but uh, I mean getting standing away from him, for example, uh is it's something you, well, you don't even know, know how to dream about that uh, when, you, when you start playing badminton. But, but the whole momentum, that's why I started playing badminton. I wasn't thinking like, okay, I'm going to be world champion. I get some medal. It was about the memories. I, I remember I watched the 96 Olympics at my summer house. And, and I, I felt like, okay, I want to play there one, one day. And then I got to play there, actually twice, Beijing and uh, London. So that's why that's why I played. I didn't play for medals. I, I knew that I was not I was not good enough. But the memories I will I will always have. So it was it was really nice to nice to remember. And that's why I felt really a confidence boost that now I want to play very best what I can in Rio 2016, that's why I was training very hard during the qualification period that I was in the best condition when the Olympics are played. Unfortunately, I didn't make it because I didn't really pay attention to the qualification that much, but I was training to be the best best me in at the Olympics. So um, that was really, that was, 2016 that was really <laughs> really big disappointed our disappointment when i when i on are,
0: are you like still a bit disappointed or have you like come to terms with it that it that your career is still satisfying for you or is it like a a little thing that still bugs you a little bit
1: no not not anymore not anymore but it was really at the time it was really like first it was like a disbelief then it was really a denial and then I started to accept, and then I started to process like what what the hell has just happened. I mean, I should be playing there, and uh, but but I mean it's just one one part. And uh, fortunately, I got to play in two Olympics, and um, I don't really like to regret. I I do regret that I could have practice better in my, in my days. I could, I could have had the better quality in my trainings. I could have been more professional. But then, I don't know. I like the show. I like the pleasure. I, I don't know. I, my career was good. It was, it was pleasant pleasant career
0: I yeah would say. i would agree i would agree and obviously i haven't even competed at the olympics uh, and i'm still quite happy with my career as well uh, for me the olympics is not everything obviously i dreamt about participating in everything but i also had to come to the conclusion that it's it's not everything and you can still have a successful career even if you yeah you don't get to play there and fulfill Absolutely. every single dream you have I, i'm sure you also didn't fulfill every single dream but fulfilling a lot of them is uh is more than you can uh, Yeah, expect.
1: Yeah, I mean, you just need to go through through your mind. And uh, you just need to be all right. You just need to be with peace uh, with your career. And uh, that's what matters, really. If it's Olympics or whatever you want to do and you miss something or some European medal, World Championship medal. If you miss something, you just need to come uh come with peace with that that thing
0: yeah you need to be yeah, all right sometimes it will take time but at some point you will for sure come to peace with that right is there before we move on talking about your uh, your future villa and your your present also in, in badminton uh is there any like legendary match or any performance uh, that i didn't mention here that you would like to uh to to bring forward or should we just move on Well, um, I obviously don't remember all well, your I, good matches. I, think, uh, I just, uh, I remember a few. I th- I, th-
1: I think there is, I think there is one legendary match. It was not a good match, definitely. It was played 2008 in Timisoara. Yeah. Oh, Croatia.
0: Uh, uh, no. Romania, it's Romania. Romania. A,
1: Romania, Romania, right, right, right. It was one of the qualification tournaments for the Beijing Olympics. And... Uh, uh, it was really a shit hole. Timisoara. I, I, I remember I ate only spaghetti bolognese uh, at the hall, and then I ate cashew peanuts in the hotel. Nothing else. The whole tournament. I won the tournament in the end, but the semi final. I'm talking about. I played against Jan Vondra, a little bit mental himself yes. as well, and uh, he won the first set, obviously. And then in the second set, uh, I was about to win the win the set, and he started to hit uh, the shuttles out on purpose.
0: That sounds like an one, but
1: I kept I kept running them back, hitting them <laughs> to the middle of the middle of the court. He hit them even further out. I I cut them back to the middle of the court. He was absolutely furious. We both I think we both got red cards in that match and. Uh, in the end, it was it was really a war zone. But it it was most most of them not most of them all of the matches with Jan Vondra, it was really a war yeah. zone. Two mental mental uh, guys yeah, but... battling it out. So I mean, it it was not it was not beautiful, but it was it was nice nice to play in my mind. Yeah, and I, no, I think
0: for anyone that doesn't know Jan Bondra, it and... sounds ridiculous that he's hitting the shots out on purpose but to me it makes perfect sense uh, i played him as well in in cyprus one year where uh on i think it was 1917 uh, something like that in the first game and uh, the uh, the service umpire uh or service judge is calling him fault on uh or faulting him on his serve and then uh, he saves the first set point and it's then 2018 then when he gets the serve back he just takes the shuttle and instead of serving to me, he just flicks it into the service judge just because he's so annoyed that he got cold fault and then I win the first game. Like he, he didn't care. Oh yeah, I,
1: I've heard nah. this story. Yeah, I've heard this story. Like he
0: was so crazy on court sometimes. So I can just imagine you two guys well, going that's... at going at it.
1: Yeah, yeah, he he's my kind of guy. He, he wants to make make the points, really.
0: <laughs> he's for sure, that's for sure. <laughs>
1: And then, and then the same tournament in the end in the final I, I beat Raul, mm-hmm. Raul Must with his own records because I, I ran out of the rackets. So um so that was that was some tournament. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm glad we got that in the <laughs> podcast before before moving on, that's for sure. Right, I will uh, stop talking about your past and talk a little bit more about the present and your and your future. Um, You're still very much involved in badminton. You are the Vice Chair of the BWF Athletes Commission. Uh, You are also a board member of uh, badminton Finland, or the, the Finnish badminton association. And I know you're also uh, taking some coaching courses, right? Or oh, you have done that. And you uh, you also told me before we got online that you uh, you are starting a new coaching job very soon. So can you uh, can you kind of elaborate a bit on what what is uh, like? What do you see your future in badminton uh, be like?
1: Well, I mean, um, I still like badminton very much as. Uh, as uh, as a game and uh i like coaching really much these days so i uh, i worked uh, two years as a, um, as an executive director in one of the biggest finnish finnish badminton clubs and uh but i quit it quit it now this january and now i have been i have been home with uh with my youngest daughter from uh, from january and um now actually next month i'm starting uh, as a finnish national team head coach like a substitute for for the real head coach who, who is uh who is on the what what was it maternal leave Ma- right? maternal
0: leave yeah yeah I maternal think
1: that's leave cool. right yeah. so uh i will probably be there helping the players um until the august but my my goal really is is to be the coach in in the highest level i know I know my strength uh, well, when I was working with the club i I did a little bit kind of all kind of coaching, but obviously my strength is not there to teach some technique or something very basics, so I feel I can give quite a bit for the for the best players in Finland and uh, and i feel that that's my strength uh, that's where my strength lies and uh, so my goal basically is it's quite ambitious but i would like to be the national team coach of finland now uh, from august that's definitely i'm i'm going to apply for that and then in the future who knows i hope i can i can do Good things. I hope I can do something like Fernando did in Spain, and hopefully I can um, I can do good coaching career. Really, I mm. I, feel I think like that I like I, it. I think
0: that if I can interrupt you, I think that's really interesting that yeah. you mentioned uh, Fernando and what he did in uh, in Spain. Because I actually wanted to ask you, do you see it being a possibility to produce a world class player in Finland, and not only a female player like Carolina? Not taking away anything of her hard work, but it's an even bigger challenge to produce a men's single player. I think from a, a smaller badminton nation because you don't have like the girls, they have the boys to spar with always. But with the boys, you don't have someone at a higher level you can you can spar with. So, do you see it as a possibility in the future to produce someone in in Finland like Carolina? Uh, yeah, even female or, or male, or, or do you think it, it's not really possible? I I feel
1: I'm I'm definitely not certain mm. at this point, but I feel that uh, we are still not doing things, not nearly as good as we could. I mean, I mean the Finnish players. I feel they are light here, away physically, from the best players. I mean that's easy to easy to correct you only need to have the motivation you don't need to you don't need to be talented basically everyone can get physical if if they only do the work so i feel that we are not still we are still not doing the job nearly as good as we could do then only then i can i can tell you the answer if if it's possible or not i feel um at this point i feel that it it could be possible. I mean, if we talk about one player, we cannot, at this point, we cannot have the same production production as you have in Denmark that every time there comes new player, two new players, that's, that's not possible. Not yet, at least. But we can have one player who is coming out of the, out of the forest, basically, and uh, beating all the odds, basically. But as a, as a system, like, uh, can we get the system that produces good players year after year? Okay. Um, it takes it a long time. It takes long time. And uh, obviously, you just need to get into that circle of good things. Obviously, because then it's really, really difficult to get out of that circle if it's surrounded with good things. But if you are in the circle of bad things, it's it's really difficult to get out of there and move to the good thing, good good circle. Mm. So um, we just only need to get get the like basic work that needs to be much better. It needs to be at much much higher quality, much higher, uh, yeah, all in all, much higher level. Mm. And um, yeah. It's quite. It's quite simple. Still, it's quite simple. It's not. It's not rocket science. Or rocket science. I mean, it's quite simple. Yeah, would you I would agree.
0: Had, uh, yeah, I would agree, and I, I had uh, Fernando on the podcast uh, some time ago as well, uh, and I think he actually would agree with your view as well because it was quite interesting to hear from his point of view that it took him a lot of years to build up a system that where it was possible to create a player like Kaolina but he also felt that Spain is still far away from being able to build a system that can produce a player like Kaolina year and year and year after year, right? So it already takes a lot of time to just get to the level where you can produce one player, but being able to produce 10 players or doing it 20 years in a row, that's a, a completely different, uh, different story.
1: Yeah, and I feel that, that you need to have these idols that the juniors look up to. I mean, if 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 there is a there is idea circling around that you cannot you cannot live, you cannot get the living out of badminton. I mean, why would anyone do it? I, I know the hours what you need to do in order to beat Mr. Axelsen, Mr. and Mr. Wittinghus. I mean, these hours they are crazy. Why would anyone do that if they think that it's not possible to get the living out of it so you need to have these idols that you juniors or younger players look up to and they need to have some kind of like a path that they can follow and obviously now in Spain there there is a chance because they know it's possible someone has done it why why can't we do it yeah but in finland no one has done it so there needs to be someone who is breaking the pattern
0: is like setting all this in place and getting the basics uh, better or improving those. I'm, I'm sure that's something you're going to try and work on now that you are being the substitute uh, national coach. But I, th- I think it's quite interesting as well that you are a board member of the uh, the Finnish Badminton Association. Is, is that part of the reason why you're there? Is that to try and and get to that next step or is there another story behind uh, why you're your board member?
1: Well, yeah, I when i when I applied for that, i i I wanted to know what's what's really happening. and uh, I, I wanted to give because I knew I knew that there is there is not many people who is actually who is not l- living badminton, preaching badminton. And I knew that I am still doing it. I'm still creating badminton. it's it's very close to my heart, much closer than many other people in there. So, um, and then I was working with badminton every day, and and not many people can do can say that in the board. So I felt like I need to be the connection between the board and the between the badminton Finland. I mean the everyday work. So I felt like I was the connection. Obviously, I'm not. I'm not really. Mm, I'm not really like a yes man. So I'm quite controversial with my. Opinions quite often, so so it has not been really a smooth ride so far. So, um, but at I, least I, now I, I, I believe
0: I'm, I believe you when you say that, I believe you when you say that for sure. But do, 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 you, do you have any uh, like ambition to be a like a badminton politician or anything like that? Or are you more interested no, in not, the work in no, the whole- not-
1: uh, not really, not really the badminton politician. I mean, it's. Uh, I really, I really can't handle the bullshit that that much. I'm, i myself. I'm, I'm quite straight and nah. Uh, uh yeah, I'm, I'm quite straight and like a straight-spoken guy, so I don't really uh-huh. want that. The diesel and diesel and like this bullshit and uh, all all that. So I I feel it's not for me, really. But it's it's nice to get the feeling and it's nice to be part of that and know what's the reasoning between the or behind the decisions. What uh, what they do in board actually and what are the what are the basically because the funds are limited, obviously. Mm. So what they want to target the funds like because. Usually it's like, that, it's like that, that they want everything. They want seniors, they want juniors, they want, they want everything, top admin, or whatever. But you cannot do all of that. The funds, there is no funds to do that. I mean, there is no manpower
0: to do yeah, that. So you have to prioritize. So,
1: absolutely. And that's what I was really interested like, uh, because now we are trying to do a little bit everything and it's not possible. It's really not possible. You have do you to, think it you have Do you to. think
0: it would be a big help for you uh in your position as coach now that you also have the like deeper understanding and knowledge of what what goes on behind the scenes? A
1: little bit, yeah, a little bit, yeah, because now I know the financial part of the of the national team and how it how it goes around a little bit. So absolutely, absolutely. But uh I don't I don't think about that too much. I'm 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 really into into this this moment actually because I really want to make the change from the first day on when I when I get there. I really want to shake the things like uh, I mean in a good way. I'm not gonna do like something crazy. But I want to I want I want to make the players think a little bit more. And and how to do that I think they're not they're not used to that. I have uh, I have quite uh, big ideas what what we're gonna do.
0: It's gonna be extremely interesting to follow that from the uh, the sidelines, Billy. Really, and I will get you back on the uh, the podcast when you produced your first world champion from Finland. Is that a deal?
1: That is definitely a deal. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure.
0: All we will right, get we,
1: there.
0: <laughs> yeah, we can also lower the expectations a little bit. I'll. Uh, I would love to have you back on at, the, at some other point. We already spent a lot of time, so I want to uh skip on to the very final part of the interview and that's the uh, listener questions i will only do two today but i think it's two very good questions so i hope you're you're ready for answering those absolutely one is from the uh, the legend yen Jan Janssen. And you saw that question on uh, on Twitter as well. He's asking, "What is the best champagne you've ever had, and what is the occasion?" And just to bring a little bit of context, you're a big champagne lover. I know that from uh, following you on, on Instagram as well. That you have a, quite a uh, a passion for champagne, right? So I think that's why he's also asking uh, this question.
1: Yeah, I guess um, I guess it must be uh, Salon. 1997 yeah 1997 salon when uh, when we got to know that we are gonna move to paris uh was it three years ago four years ago well straight after i uh, i finished my career we we made sure that we moved to paris so we opened up uh one one of the good bottles it's it's not definitely the best ones i have right there one meter or away from me i have a uh, quite nice selections i have uh, i have many keys keys uh i mean i mean my wife also loves the champagne and i need to have the keys to the to the room so uh there is some good stuff still but this salon 97 that was that was really good yeah Juicy, I, I-, I would say
0: all right, and I know absolutely nothing about it, but I'm sure jan he will uh, he will know he's he's quite a big fan as well. He's maybe more of a wine guy, but I know he also loves champagne. Well, everyone so he's, knows he's someone. for sure gonna check it out. Yes. All right, the second one, and I promised uh, early in the podcast that we would get back to this one, and that's from uh, the Scottish guy. Uh, he's called Doctor Dad Mike on uh, on Twitter. Uh, I think I've actually met him uh, before as well. He used to work as a journalist, uh, but he just. Says that we need a story about pre-finals clubbing in Glasgow. So, what is that all about? Did you go clubbing before your final at the uh, the Scottish Open, or what is he referring to? I did not
1: go. No, I did not go out when I played when I won it against Wang. But I played in the final. When was it? I played uh, this Indian guy, uh, Anand Babar, I guess. I played mm, him yeah. in the final. Lost him very, very easily. I couldn't, I couldn't really see the saddle at the point. <laughs> I, I, i I went out the previous night before the final. It was supposed to be easy. Yeah. I got, I got back to hotel half past four. <laughs> but obviously, obviously, I have, I, I've done that in many tournaments. And, and won the tournaments as well, mm. but the problem was that I had been out the previous nights before that as well. So it was not only okay. that that night; it was basically, I think it was very, <laughs> it was very long tournament. I remember that I think it was like five nights or something mm. in a row. So the final after all, final was quite good, good result. But yeah. that's with that set. Now you understand why why I never never was the best player i I really like the pleasure i uh, i um yeah, you need to enjoy the life as well but now it's now i'm I have changed i'm I'm really a changed fan now i i felt felt it like uh, that was the player villa now it's the it's the senior villa. so now I mean if my player would do like that, I would not be happy. I mean, because I have, I have done the mistakes, I know what to expect. I know, I know exactly what I was missing, that I couldn't get up to top 10 or whatever. Mm. I know what I was missing. So I, if my players would repeat my mistakes, I would not be happy. I would definitely not be happy. But obviously, we were young boys at that time and uh, everyone makes mistakes.
0: For sure. And uh, as we discussed earlier, you still had a pretty nice career. i will say uh, World number 21 is uh, is a pretty decent achievement uh, in men's singles. It's a very competitive field. I also mentioned you have 15 international titles. I'm not even sure if that's uh, enough, but that's what I could uh, find online. So uh, yes, 15, I'm, I guess, yeah. Uh, 15. Yeah. So yeah really I just want to say it's been a tremendous uh, pleasure having you on the podcast uh, some fun stories and uh, we didn't get to half of the stories that are out there so uh, I will uh, take you up on your word that I can uh, invite you back on at uh, at some point and then we will uh, see if my listeners are actually uh, ready for this interview when I uh, when I post it online and I'll let you know
1: Yeah 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 next time we can do the uh, show that's that's forbidden uh, under 18 then we go to the real stories and uh <laughs> the tournaments what we yeah what we did <laughs> so
0: this one is was only a little teaser this last story that said, it was like the top of the iceberg there are more crazy stories to come in the next show is that a guarantee
1: that, that was the beginning of the iceberg <laughs>
0: <laughs> all, right, all right all right really thanks so much for uh, for taking time out in your uh, very busy schedule with the maternity maternity leave. I will, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I hope you did too.
1: Yeah, I do. I do so Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking me. Better late than than never.
0: <laughs> yeah, sorry <laughs> about that. Sorry
1: about that. No worries. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a great chat with Villa, And just as expected, he had some very good stories lined up for us. For me, it was definitely the most interesting to hear his thoughts on his on-court behavior and presence. It was maybe even more of a conscious choice than what I had expected going into this chat. It really seems like he was extremely aware of his shortcomings on court when he played and also what his strengths were and what he, the strengths he needed to play on to be successful. And his body language and mind games were definitely a big part of that, no doubt about that. I tend to think a little bit more about tactics and my own mental mindset and not too much about how it affects my opponent, not that I give it no importance at all, but it's just fascinating to hear how highly prioritized it was for Ville compared to myself. I also thought it was quite an important story he told at the end, the one about him going clopping before his uh, matches at one of the Scottish Opens of course it doesn't say something positive about his seriousness or anything and we wouldn't recommend it to to young kids and billy was also very clear about that but he was also very clear on the fact that he knew the effect his choices had on on his career to me there's no right or wrong way to be a professional badminton player but definitely there's some things that you need to do if you want to become one one of the very best Villa was aware that he did not do all the things needed but he could still be very successful at his own level. So who are we to judge if what he did wasn't the right way for him? He did not deceive himself into thinking he did everything possible and that's where the difference lies for me. Some people will tell themselves they are doing absolutely everything to succeed when in fact they are not and they just start pointing fingers at others or coming up with bad excuses as to why they're not successful that's not what Billa did and I, had a, I have a lot of respect for that actually he's at peace with how he did things during his playing days and honestly why wouldn't he be? world number 21 and 15 international titles not the worst achievements right? right guys and girls that will be it for today i hope you enjoyed this chat with uh, billy long as much as i did and uh, if you did i would really appreciate it if you share the show if you listen on spotify there's a really cool feature where you can actually share the show on your instagram story so you don't even have to make a normal feed post you can just share it on your story while you're listening to it it helps the podcast grow so much so i would really appreciate it if you could uh, share this show with your badminton interested friends anyway guys i'm off i will be uh, back soon with the next episode until then take care bye thank you for listening to a year on tour with wittinghus If you enjoyed the show, please rate, share and leave a comment in iTunes or your preferred podcast app.